everyone. Our uh, first reading is Psalm 32, and that is on page 395 of the Black Bibles. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you, while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The second reading is from Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which can be found on page 827. Chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance for us to do. Good evening, friends. Uh, as Sammy, Sam reminded us earlier, uh, man does look on the outward appearance. Uh, and if that's what you're doing right now at me, at this strapping young man, uh, my, name, my name's Simon. I'm one of the student ministers here. Um, if, you, if you kind of think you know who I am, but you're kind of going, I don't quite recognise him, it's probably because I've got hair on my head. Um, I haven't had hair on my head for probably 18 months. 
Um, it's a new thing for me. Um, I haven't used product for a long time. And I'm kind of thinking about shaking my head again because I don't love it. Um, but God indeed looks upon our hearts. Uh, and I want to pray now that God would do his work in our hearts by his word, uh, that we would know him better, that we would love Jesus and indeed know his amazing grace. Uh, so let's pray together now. Let's pray. Father, we praise that you have not stayed silent. Father, we praise you that you have acted once and for all time in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that your scriptures speak of him and his love for us and his love for the world. And so, Father, we pray tonight that as we read your scriptures, as we study them together, you'd grant us understanding and a deeper knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. Lord, may your spirit change us to be more like our Saviour and Lord Jesus. And may we leave here tonight different because we have heard you speak to us and change our hearts. And we pray this for Jesus' fame, for his glory and renown. Amen. Amen. Friends, please keep Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 open in front of you. That's where we're going to be kind of hanging together tonight. I wonder if you were asked the question, what makes Christianity different from all other religions? What would you say? Uh, let's say tomorrow you go to work, let's say you, you go to dinner sometime this week and someone says to you, what, what is it that makes Christianity different from all other religions in the world? What would you say? I wonder, I wonder. Uh, this was a question that was posed at a conference many, many years ago uh, it's a question that's still you know, argued and, and talked about today, but it was posed at this conference. It was a conference packed full of big, heavy, big-brained theologians. They were sitting around, and one of them said, well, I know what, I know what makes it different. Uh, it, it's different because God became man. That's unique to Christianity. And one of the theologians goes, no, 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 there are other religions in the world where they believe the deity became a man. Someone said, oh, I've got it, I've got it. It's the resurrection. And then someone else goes, no, but there are other religions in the world that do talk about you know, some kind of coming back from the dead once you've, de once you've died. Then in walked, a little bit late, but only C.S. Lewis could do this. He walked in late into the room, sat down, and he asked the question, he goes, what's the rumpus about? And he found out quite quickly that the rumpus was all about this question of the uniqueness of Christianity. And, you know, as only C.S. Lewis could do, he goes, look, guys, it's easy. It's grace. It's grace. It's kind of obvious, isn't it, when it's sort of stated up front. It is grace that is unique to Christianity. Because all the other religions of the world are all about doing, uh, doing doing enough to make God, the God you are trying to serve happy with you, saying enough prayers, going to Mass, doing all the sorts of things that you hope will appease God. I've got some really good friends who, who are Muslim people. And, they, and, and these friends of mine, they're, they're praying five times a day. They're doing and doing and doing and doing. And I say to them at the end of the day, do you know that you're going to be saved? Do you know that, you're going to, that Allah will forgive you? And they go, no. Nah. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping he's merciful. All the other religions of the world are all about doing. The unique thing about Christianity, brothers and sisters, is that it is a message of it's done. 
because of grace. It's all done. I heard a great talk once on that topic of all the other religions that are all about doing and doing and doing, yet Christianity is all about the fact that it's been done. Jesus Christ has died once for all, and it's all about grace. And this is what the, the wonder of God's grace is what is brought for us here in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. And this is what we're going to be looking at. I Just to fill you in just briefly, you might be wondering, why on earth are we looking at Ephesians tonight, Simon? Um, it's a good question. Uh, we're about to start a series on Romans for many weeks to come. Uh, we've come out of Proverbs. We've come out of looking at three weeks on the cross. This is kind of a one-off. Uh, so there you go. We're about to look at grace in its fullness, I guess, in the weeks to come as we look at the exposition of Romans. Uh, but tonight we're going to focus on the amazing grace of God laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 2. To give you a bit of a few bearings on Ephesians, Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to a group of Christians in Ephesus uh, way back in time, a couple of thousand years ago, uh, writing to these Christians. It's a particularly encouraging letter. So far in chapter 1, uh, Paul has outlined that as Christians, we have every spiritual blessing in heaven on earth poured out into our lives because of Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing under heaven poured out into the life of the Christian. Paul then prays that we would grow to know this power, the power that raised Christ from the dead more and more as we live as Christians in the world. And then he praises God just before we hit chapter 2 for this amazing work that he's done in the life of Jesus to bring him back from the dead, that he is now seated above all rulers, powers and authorities. And then he addresses Christians, the Christians at Ephesus, and takes them back a little bit to think about where they've come from and where they are today. Ephesians basically is split into two. One, two, three, the first three chapters, all about theology. Chapters four, five, and six, all about the application of that theology, that understanding of what God has done for us in our day-to-day lives. Uh, today we sort of meet Paul right in the middle of his theology. Come with me then to, chapter, to verse 1 of chapter 2, under the title of Children of Wrath, if you're a note taker. As for you, Paul writes, addressing the Christians in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Note verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. It's a pretty devastating start, isn't it? He's just laid out. You've got every spiritual blessing in the world. You've got the power that that lives in Jesus, the power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul's praising God for that. And then he goes, as for you, this devastating kind of first three verses. Paul lays out that straight up, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Death is the consequence of sin. Ever since Adam came into the world and sinned, we've all kind of inherited his problem, the problem of sin, the problem of rejecting God, the problem of wanting to follow all the, the things of this world, craving our, the gratifying our cravings. But when we're dead because of sin, we're, we're also dead to God. 
We can't know God. We can't relate to God. We're cut off from God. Dead people can't make wrongs right. When you're on your deathbed, it's really hard to, well, fix mistakes. Rotting in the dirt, it's hard to restore a relationship that's gone wrong. And when you're dead, you certainly can't fix your relationship with God. You can't do anything about it. Paul writes, we are dead in our sin. Lifeless, lost, out of relationship. And Paul writes, you once walked. He's addressing Christians and he's, he's talking about what they were like before they became a Christian. This, this is me. It's you guys if you're a Christian. You once walked, Simon, you once walked in sin, verse 2, walking according to this worldly age. One of the translations talks about walking according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain. This sort of world, the air we breathe, the ruler of the air, the devil. We all, Paul says, once lived among them. But we've moved on from that, Paul, Paul writes to us. Like everyone else, we did what feels good. We did what we, we thought was right, which gives us pleasure. We were ruled by ourselves, and that just leads naturally to selfishness, which is really ultimately being ruled not by God, not by Jesus, but being ruled by the devil himself, the great deceiver, who makes us think, yeah, this is what life's all about, but it's not, and this is what Paul's writing here gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, lusting after those things which we ought not to lust after. after. This was our condition, Paul writes, before we became Christians. I sometimes ponder my life before I became a Christian and I look back on it. It's my history. I need to own that history. But I don't look back on it with pride. I see myself in these texts all the time, gratifying the lust of my flesh. Whatever looks good, I want it. I don't care if it hurts other people. I think it's good for me. It's, I want it. However, then we get to verse 4 of this passage. I don't know about you, but one of my favourite words, I like words, one of my favourite words is the word but. Not B-U-T-T, but B-U-T. I like the word but because it appears in the New Testament all the time at just the right time when you need it. Just the right time. So right here where Paul has gone, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, satisfying your own flesh, ruled by not God but ruled by the devil. Paul then goes, I'm sitting there going, far out, can you kill me now? Paul then writes, verse 4, have a look. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even, get that, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And if you want any more, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You get to the the beginning of verse 4 and you think, who is this God that I've sinned against? He sounds vindictive. He sounds 
terrible. He sounds hateful. But God is rich in mercy. Verse 4. This is a merciful God, not vindictive, not hateful, not spiteful, not capricious, but a God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ. Verse 5. How good is that? Dead in transgressions and sins, but because of his rich mercy and his love made us alive with Christ. Given new life, literally brought back from the dead. That is an outrageous truth. Spiritually dead, but brought back to life because we're united with Christ. He was made alive. We're made alive with him. His restored life becomes our restored life. That's the implication of being united with Jesus. And we are, verse 6, raised with him. The same power that conquered the grave, the same power that raised Jesus bodily to life again is the same power that will raise us to life. That very same power, if you're a Christian, exists in you. And we will be raised with him also. His resurrection, his ascension, becomes our resurrection and our ascension. His overturned death will become our overturned death. And we get to be seated with Christ. As Christ is ascended to the right hand of God, so we, united with Christ, ascend to that very same place. Do you get that? If you don't, I'm, I'm with you. It's a massive concept. That because Christ has been raised to the, from the dead and is now seated in the heavenly realms by the right, at the right hand of God, we too, by faith, are united to him. And where he is, we are. You may think that tonight you are sitting in a comfortable pew or a not-so-comfortable pew in Kirribilli. You are kind of bodily, but spiritually, if you're a Christian, you are where Christ is, raised with him at the right hand of God. Like at the end of chapter 1, ruling with Christ, sharing in all the spoils of the victory of Christ that he won for us at Calvary on the cross. Friends, these are outrageous truths, but they're truths nonetheless. God, verse 6, has seated us with him. We We are there with him. And if you get that truth, I, kind of, I think it changes your whole life. It radically ought to change your life, spiritually raised with Jesus. It's a kind of a hard concept to, to kind of illustrate. It's a dangerous thing to try and illustrate this, but I'm going to give it a whirl. I'm going to dive back to 1998 to do it, a bit of a sort of back to the future type thing. 1998, Golden Globe Awards. Who watched, I don't watch the Golden Globe Awards very much. I don't know why I was watching it on this particular occasion. But a guy named Ving Rhames, he won the Golden Globe, best actor that year. And he, you know, they called him up to the stage and he took hold of his Golden Globe. And the first thing he said when he was given the opportunity to speak was, I want Mr. Jack Lemon to come to the stage. And, of course, the cameraman went crazy trying to find where is Mr. Jack Lemon actually seated in the crowd. He had nothing to do with anything, really. The camera's flying around. He, Jack Lemon, starts walking up, comes up to the stage, and Ving Rhames hands him his Golden Globe Award. 
and says, you know, as an artist, I'm into giving and I want you to have this award. I want you to participate with me in this time. And, you know, there were two men as a result crying on the stage. It was a pretty unattractive moment. And Bing, uh, Jack Lemon just said it, you know, he sort of said, you know, this is, he said then, this is the nicest, the sweetest thing that's ever happened to me. Because he got to participate in the glory of Ving Rhames at that particular time. He got to be, he was drawn in unexpectedly, undeservedly into the glory that Ving Rhames was experiencing. Friends, it is a pretty woeful illustration because it does not capture hardly any of the significance of what Christ has done and how we get to participate in Christ's glory. We didn't do anything to do it. We brought to the table our transgressions, our sins, our miserable bodies. And yet we get drawn in by God's love, his mercy, to participate in all of Christ's victory over sin, over death, we come with empty hands, don't we? Yet we, be, we get given every spiritual blessing under heaven. These are outrageous truths. Verse 7 of chapter 2. He does this in order, verse 7, that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He does this does this that he might show the riches of his grace. And these aren't just any riches. These are immeasurable riches of his grace. Literally, the translation is hyper-abundant riches. Extravagant grace, grace beyond any understanding, is how immeasurable this grace is. Verse 4, he is both rich, he's rich in mercy. Verse 7, rich, hyperabundant richness in grace. God's, God's acted to save us sinners so that we might serve to display the surpassing wealth of his grace. Did you get that? He saved us that, so we might serve to display just how good God has been to us in saving us wretched sinners. And made us alive in Christ. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of get the mercy bit. I, I get, I can understand that. I, I can sometimes in my good days show mercy to some people. Uh, we see it sometimes where mercy is shown when someone really deserves imprisonment. Uh, or we deal lightly with someone when they ought to be dealt with harshly. That's the concept of mercy. But what about grace? Do we really understand grace? Paul offers a clear description of grace for us here in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. He builds to this very point. For it is by grace you have been saved. They are some of the most beautiful words you could ever read. By grace you have been saved. Write them on your hand. Write them on your arm. Stick them on the back of the toilet door. By grace you have been saved. It is a gift of God to you that you have been saved if you're a Christian. 
if grace is the free gift of God, the undeserved gift of God, the unmerited, undeserved gift of God to us, freely given from God, it is not like us when we give Christmas gifts. Okay? Let me explain. Every year it comes around December, maybe it's even November, when we start thinking about giving gifts. I've worked out that Christmas is not really about giving gifts. It's really about giving. It's like a gift exchange, isn't it? And all the anxiety that builds up in me, perhaps it builds up in my wife Adele more because she does probably more of the concern about gift giving. She's got a much more generous heart than I do. But there's this anxiety, isn't it? So, you know, when I think of my sister, what am I going to buy my sister for Christmas? I kind of give a gift to my sister out of some kind of expectation that I'll get something in return. Is that what you do? Come on, someone please nod their head. Where we, we, and I'm, I get a bit anxious. I think, well, you know, I'm going to spend $50 on my sister, but what if she spends 150 on me? That's going to be an awkward moment where she clearly knows that I'm a stingy guy. But what about if it's the opposite? I give her a $150 gift and she gives me 50 and I go, hey, that's not fair. It's not Christmas anymore. Christmas is not about gift giving. It's a gift exchange. But friends, when it comes to our dealing with God and his grace, there's no exchange going on. It is God's abundant generosity to us. We come with empty hands. We can't give anything to God. We come with our dead in transgressionness. We don't come with anything, but we get given grace. This free, undeserved gift of God's love and mercy it's, it's, it's outrageous. There's no exchange here, just God pouring out his grace and mercy and love to us in his Son. That's grace. Unmerited favour, abundant kindness, hyper-abundant love from God to us undeserving people. And it doesn't stop there. With grace comes kind of the grace package. We get freedom from slavery to sin. We get the gift of heaven to look forward to. We get the hope, the sure hope of eternal life thrown into the mix. It's, out, it's outrageous. Plus every spiritual blessing. So great is his love, his mercy, his grace, his goodness. Do you know that love? Do you know it? Friends, when I'm not a student minister here, when I'm not at Moore College trying to study, uh, when I'm not a husband, when I'm not a father, I'm a physiotherapist. Um, I work a couple of days a week as a physiotherapist and I'm on holidays from college or lecture-free study period at college. And uh, I've been working at the physio clinic a fair bit and uh, I had a patient the other day. It's great. It's like a moment of power. The patient is lying face down with their head in the hole on the table and I'm just over the top of them. I can do anything I want. So I've got my hands on her neck. This patient's head down. She's on, the, she's on the table and I'm pushing on her neck and she says to me, Simon, I've got a question for you. And I said, oh, okay, here we go. And she goes, I want to know... What is love? What is love? <laughs> and I'm like, 
how did we get from what are you going to eat for dinner tonight to this sort of profound question on what is love? And, and I said to her, and yeah, you'd think, you'd think, wouldn't you, for a second, a final year more college student who kind of studies a bit about the Bible, he'd have some idea about what love is. I'm sort of sitting there going, I'm pushing harder on her neck, hoping we can just sort of move on from that moment. And I sort of, it came to me, bingo. I said, God is love, like that, confidently, you know. And she, I thought, that'll solve her question. She goes, what does that mean? <laughs> and I went, far out. Can we go back to what you're having for dinner, you know? Anyway, then I got to thinking about what, yeah, what, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is love? And it made me think of this particular passage, uh, that God in his hyperabundant love, in his hyperabundant generosity and mercy, poured out his love and mercy for us in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself up for us that we might be forgiven and freed from the slavery of bondage to sin have the hope of eternal life, have the hope of heaven, be free to live life and life to the full. Well, the conversation sort of ended at that point. I think when I mentioned Jesus, she sort of wanted to go back to talking about dinner again. Uh, but here we have God giving his son to die for us, enduring mockery and ridicule, drinking the very cup that we deserved as we were objects of wrath, deserving the punishment from God. Jesus took that upon himself. That is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us first and gave himself up for us, for you and for me. And in case God's grace is not clear, check out the second half of verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace, and even the faith we have is a gift of God. The gift of God of faith is us turning in repentance and trust in Jesus. That is a gift of God. Sometimes I kind of fall into that trap of thinking, no, you know, at the end of the day, faith is a work of mine. I've come to trust in God. One way I've gotten around that is to actually, when I sit down with people and I'm talking with another Christian brother or sister and we get to that time in the conversation, it's coming to a close, we want to pray with each other, I always do the best I can to give thanks to God for giving the miracle of faith in that person's life because it reminds me that even the faith that I have in Jesus is a gift of God, coupled with his grace. It is not by works that we earn our salvation. It's a really simple truth, but it's a, it's a truth we can get wrong. It's not by works. We do not earn it. We, we don't contribute to anything, anything in this transaction. Again, we come with empty hands dead in our sins, unable to please God, unable to do his will. We can't win his favour on our own, but in Christ, through faith, forgiven, saved, redeemed, accepted, welcomed and free. You know this well, don't you? You probably teach it to each other, you Perhaps sometimes preach it to each other. 
the grace of God. It's not by works. We exhort others to delight in the freedom that we're accepted by God, not because of what we've done and what we can do, but what Christ has done and what he has, will do in us. But has God's grace just become a little bit pedestrian in your life? Has the wonder of God's grace sort of slipped out of your heart and your mind? Do you no longer appreciate the richness of God's mercy and grace towards you? Forgotten the wretched darkness of our sin? Friends, for me, it it happens all too often. And for me, it's a wonderful thing to go to my connect group uh, where there are people there who are are relatively young Christians and this is a new thing. Uh, Let me tell you, I was going to get up in open encouragement before, but I I, thought you're going to hear enough from me tonight, so I'll just wait. But here we go. At connect group a couple of weeks ago, uh, you might, some of you guys might know Silvana, Uh, who is part of our congregation here. She's from Argentina. Uh, She's had to leave the country for a little while for immigration reasons. It's a hot topic at our our connect group. (laughs) It's nothing too suspicious, but, you know, anyway. Um, She had to leave. And the other night we were just looking at um, just the implications of Jesus' death and his resurrection and and what what that's achieved for us, uh, that it's achieved uh, forgiveness of sins, that it's achieved the hope of eternal life, it's achieved all these amazing things and you know we're a bit of a rabble our connect group and so we're just kind of talking amongst ourselves and Paul Silvana whose English isn't great I'm sure most of it just thankfully sails past her ears but there was this one moment it was a beautiful moment where the other night uh, we're all rabbiting on about all sorts of stuff and then all of a sudden Silvana just says it's just all made sense to me I no longer need to fear death because Christ has been raised from the dead and because I'm in him, I know that I will be raised again also. And that's all because I was, just, I was speechless for a moment. Such a profound moment, like an aha moment in her life, but it was something that just had become pedestrian for me. That's the outworking of God's grace, that we don't need to fear death because Christ has been raised from the dead and so we, through him, united to him, also don't need to fear death. It's a wonderful truth. Has grace just become a bit pedestrian? Has God's love and mercy just become kind of things you talk about but don't really know? Friends, can I exhort you tonight, don't stay in that position. There's a difference between knowing and knowing, you know, knowing facts about God and about Jesus, but then the other is knowing deep down that you are saved by grace, by his mercy, and accepted not because of the things you can do, your abilities, your knowledge, but simply because he is merciful and good and gracious, dead in your sins, unable to please God, but because he is rich in mercy, hyperabundant in mercy and love. 
By his grace, we are saved, not because of our good works, because of his love. Do you know that? I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for myself. I want us to all pray for one another, like Paul prays in chapter 1, that we would grow in our knowledge of what God has done for us. That we wouldn't just stay stagnant, but grow and know that love. And that it would transform our lives. Reshape us into the recreated people God has made us to be. And that's what he says, that's what Paul writes in verse 9 and 10. For it is by grace you have been saved. It's a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We don't bring anything good to the table. Our salvation is entirely from God, his mercy, his grace. And from that changed, reborn, newborn creation come good works, works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. As he has called us to be his chosen people before the foundation of the earth, so too he's prepared works for us to do upon receiving Jesus as Lord and Saviour by his grace. Transformed lives, new attitudes. And the good works that Paul talks about there, that phrase, good works, is like an all-encompassing, lump-it-all-in kind of phrase. But it means the grace that's impacted our lives and changed us, the love that God has shown to us is therefore to translate in love for one another. The way that you love one another, Jesus said, is how you'll be known as my disciples. Friends, never tire of loving each other. Go out of your way to love one another, even when it's hard. How hard would it have been for God to love us? Yet he acted through his son. Let us love one another. And we are also to continue to do good Paul writes in another one of his letters, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, never tire of doing good. I get tired of doing good quite regularly. Let us never tire. Let us pray for one another that we would never tire of doing good, the good works that God has called us to be prepared for. And let us be involved in God's mission. Let us be involved in that as we seek to work hard for God, flowing out of his grace. But never Never, 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 never forget God's grace. Comes first. And at the end of the day, that is the only thing upon which we're accepted by God. His grace. Never lose sight of God's grace. I want to sort of commit to praying for one another and for praying as a church that we would never forget God's grace. It's so easy for us all to slip into that works-based mentality and then we get anxious about whether or not God's going to really love us or not. Am I doing enough around church? Am I loving my neighbour enough? At the end of the day, it's God's grace. When you're tired, when you're anxious, when you are willing to throw it all in, remember the grace of God. When things are really good, When life's going really well, remember the grace of God. When you're tempted to sin, remember the grace of God. 
And friends, when we all arrive on that day of judgment, when we face God, stand before him, remember the grace of God. That's all we've got. Empty hands. But we are given everything. Life, freedom, forgiveness, redeemed lives, new lives, all because of Jesus and his grace, God's hyperabundant mercy and his rich, rich love, measurable, never lose sight of God's grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. Let us never forget that. Let me pray. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Father, we are but dust, and Father, to dust we will return. But Father, because of your great love for us, because of your mercy to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus, we praise you this night that albeit we are racked with sin, albeit we are miserable sinners, you acted for our good and you loved us so richly that you sent your Son into the world to die for us. And Father, we, pray, we praise you tonight with such great thanks for Jesus, for your grace. And Father, we pray for ourselves tonight. Strip away all those things in our lives, in our hearts, that we think make us right with you. Strip away all our achievements and cause our eyes to be fixed on our Lord and Saviour Jesus and his achievement that won us forgiveness, salvation, hope and eternal life. Help us to never, never forget your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.